the Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome listeners today. Dr. Toon will be on our podcast. I wanted to discuss some topics of interest. Dr. Toon is a medical doctor who has training in anesthesia and a fellowship in pain management and works with some chronic pain patients in our practice. Dr. Toon, welcome to our podcast today. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. We're, we're glad to have you. I wanted to ask you about some diagnostic studies. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the diagnostic studies you might do, like EMGs or other similar types of things? EMG is, I don't perform those, but we do have doctors here that do, and I do refer my patients out to have them done. So EMG nerve conduction studies are, are great diagnostic tests. So unfortunately, with chronic pain, a lot of symptoms that patients present with can come from several different processes. And so someone has pain radiating down their arm or their leg, and people immediately think that it's because they have a herniated disc. And that's not necessarily true. There are other reasons why people might have pain, weakness, or numbness in their extremity. So EMG nerve conduction studies are tests that are performed where it's basically helping us to localize where the source of that pain may be coming from. So that's one test that usually refer my patients out to have. Some of the diagnostic tests that I do also are kind of a combination of diagnostic and therapeutics. I always give my patients a pain diary and tell them, hey, you know, it's very important whenever we do these procedures. For instance, I do something called a medial branch or facet block for, as I mentioned before, you can have arthritis in your spine. And that procedure is both diagnostic and hopefully give you long-term relief. It's so therapeutic. So I, I, you know, will give patients a pain diary and say, hey, you know, we need to know not just like long-term how effective this procedure was, but the first day when I used a local anesthetic at that site, did we reach the target? Did that really help you specifically that first day? And if it did, then we know at least we're on target. Now, the question is, what do we do to help you have long-lasting pain relief in whatever area we're targeting? So most of the actual therapeutic injections that I do are also diagnostic as well. It helps kind of, you know, it's, it's a big puzzle. When someone comes into to my office and they're like, I have back pain. The source can be muscular. It can be from a spine. It can be from a disc. It can be from a nerve. And there are all kinds of tests and imaging and injections that we can do. And, and, you know, sometimes with the MRI, especially as we age, like someone my age, there's got to be multiple things in there, whether it's the problem or not is the question. And so you can get an MRI, but it not, might not tell you exactly what is causing the pain. So then in that case, I might order a nerve conduction study. And again, if that's kind of inconclusive, then I would probably proceed to an injection based upon what is the most likely source and start from there and just kind of hone in until we figure out what the source of the pain is. That covers different reasons you might give spine injections, and I know you do a lot of those. Can you sort out for me and for our listeners different techniques? So a lot of times it's just a lumbar ESI or cervical ESI, but there are different ways, correct? Like you can do selective nerve roots, transforaminal approaches. Can you explain the difference between how you would do different techniques or different approaches for different conditions? For me, I'll, I'll give you my for me and my practice and how I look at it. Let's talk about epidural steroid injection. So someone comes in and they're like, I have pain in my leg. 
and you look on the MRI and they have like a disc herniation at a specific level, it's just right-sided and all of their pain is right-sided. We really know like, yeah, it's this disc at like this level L4 or 5 and it's right-sided and their symptoms correlate with that, then a transframal epidural steroid injection is where I would go because that's going to put all of the medicine right there at that target. And we know if that works, then that's good. And we don't have to send that patient on to surgery to alleviate that disc herniation or pain coming from that disc herniation. Sometimes people will have multiple levels of disc protrusions or their symptoms are bilateral, both sides. And in that instance, I would say, depending on like if they've had if they've had no surgery before, then I would say an interlaminar, whereas where you go kind of in the middle, that approach would be how I would do the epidural steroid injection. Now, if they've had surgery, that can be a little tricky sometimes because scar tissue or if there's actually a fusion, especially a fusion at the below or above the level where you're trying to target all the scarring from that can make it very difficult to do maybe an interlaminar injection without certain risk. And therefore, I would probably do a transferaminal, even if they have bilateral pain, I would just do a transferaminal, which is basically coming in from the side and target it that way on both sides, if it's both legs or right side, if it's just right side or left. So that's, that's kind of my thought process. Some people, you know, they have stenosis and stenosis is tricky when you're doing epidurals because if stenosis is moderate to severe, that limits the epidural space where you have to target to get in, in, you know, your needle in without actually going too far in where you could possibly puncture that dural sac that contains the spinal cord. And you don't want that because it happens sometimes people will have like spinal headaches or something like that. And you don't want to, they come in for back pain and they leave with a headache. You, you really don't want that. So when someone has like moderate to severe stenosis, I might actually do either transfer aminal or a caudal approach where I go in down by the tailbone region. And once you get into the epidural space, pretty much if you push enough of the medicine in, you can get it to spread to the space or the level that you need it to go. So that's usually, if we're looking at some like stenosis at those lower lumbar areas and patient has moderate to severe stenosis and their pain and weakness in their legs is both sides and not one side, I will probably do like a caudal epidural steroid injection instead of an interlaminar or a transferaminal. That's great information. I, I hope that all my colleagues are listening to this. That explains quite a bit. Okay, some other questions. And these are kind of hodgepodge. Do you do trigger point? <laughs> I'm sorry, we'll, we'll bounce around. Do you do trigger That's point? <laughs> trigger points, and if so, what, what do you use and how do you do it? I do trigger point injections, definitely. Most of the time, I do trigger points for neck pain. We sit at our computers all day long. Most of us don't have ergonomically designed computers like myself. I'm sitting wherever I can find a desk and, and have whatever, I, whatever chair I can find. And it's never, <laughs> I'm, I'm a short lady. We're in the exam room sitting on the examining stool. I, I've seen you in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, neck pain is pretty prevalent in this day and age of computers. And so most of my trigger points are done for that kind of pain. And I initially would 
when I first started practicing, I would always, I would just use a combination of local anesthetic and steroid. I have known some providers who just do saline and steroid. But what I found over time, especially people are getting other types of injections or if they're diabetic or have really labile blood pressures, I will not use the steroid. And I've found that I can get just as long of a relief without the steroid that I can with the steroid. Most recent years, I've been just using a local anesthetic. Usually it's like some bupivacaine and quarter percent bupivacaine. And in the neck, you have to be careful or the, in the thoracic region, because I have known me personally, knock on wood, it's never happened to me, but I have been present when someone had a pneumothorax from a trigger point injection. So you have to be really careful when you're in that area. And especially if they're thin, you have to just be knowledgeable about depth. And, and that's where it's helpful. If you do these a lot, you'll you'll begin to understand like, okay, I need to use this size needle, this depth, and this patient's this big. And sometimes if you're not, if you're really concerned or if they're really thin, I'll use ultrasound just to make sure that I'm not getting into a dangerous area. But most of the time I'm doing it neck, lower back. Those are mostly the areas that I do trigger point injections. What about things like the radiofrequency ablations or spinal cord stimulators? I, I don't know. Did, are spinal cord stimulators still used? I don't even know the answer to that. <laughs> well, what, and, yes. and on top of that, what, what kind of other interventions would you offer patients? Okay, yes. So we'll talk about the ablations and come back to the spinal cord stimulators. So both entities are really great interventions for long-term pain relief. So ablations, you know, when we were talking about when people have uh, arthritis of the spine and sometimes their pain, patients that come in like with just neck pain, it doesn't really radiate into the arms, you know, that sometimes it might radiate to the shoulders or if they have back pain that kind of radiates into the hip area, but not down the leg. A lot of times that's facet mediated is due to the arthritis in their back. And so you do a couple of diagnostic blocks, medial branch blocks. And if that works for it and it doesn't last long, then you can go forward with the radio frequency ablation. And typically the radio frequency ablation lasts six to 12 months. On average, I would say I'm lasting anywhere between nine to 12 months. That's what I usually see. Neck may be longer, lower back, I think, because we just wear out our backs. We're hard on our backs. It lasts a little less. We also do ablations for knee pain. And one of my favorite procedures to do is a geniculate nerve block and geniculate nerve ablations. Because that, when people can't have knee surgery for whatever reason, or the doctor says, you have to lose some weight, but they hurt too much. They, they can't exercise. It's just kind of this area where like, I, I wish I could, but I can't because my knee hurts. Send them in for a genicular nerve block. And if that works, but it's just temporary, then we can do an ablation to those nerves that surround the knee. And what I've found is that people not only have pain relief, but they have better mobility. And so they really, that's a really successful ablation or place to ablate as well. There are some people in the area, I don't do a lot of these, um, I've done some shoulders and some hips. Those are plus minus, I feel, as far as like long-term relief, as far as ablations. They do work in some patients, um, but I don't do those as frequently as I do the ablations for arthritis in the neck and the lumbar spine and as well as for the knee. Spinal cord stimulators, yes, we still do those. And the technology is so much better than probably when you and I first started out in training. Back then, the spinal cord stimulators work, but then it's kind of like those pain medicines too. It's like, oh, it was working and now it's not. And, you know, <laughs> and the thing about a spinal cord stimulator is that it's an implanted device. And so now you're married to this device that doesn't work and you're like, okay, what do I do with this? The patients were not really happy. But in the past five years, the technology has really changed. They work really well. And you know how like the, in the past where 
the patients would feel like the little tingling or buzzing. Now you have these uh, different frequencies now where they don't feel anything at all with the spinal cord stimulators. They just turn it on and they don't even have to keep it on to have pain relief. They turn it on for a bit and then they turn it off and it provides them with extended relief, even if it's off. So yes, the technology is so much better, definitely for those patients who are not surgical candidates and they are suffering, they are good candidates for spinal cord stimulators. Great information, Dr. Toon. We've gone through healthy alternatives to chronic pain. We've gone through opiates. we talked about some different procedures. Are there any other interventions that you offer patients or anything you'd like to tell our listeners about? That's pretty much the gamut of what I do, medication management. And I will, let's touch back to like, we talked about opioids, but there are a whole host of medications that are very helpful for pain management. And I know when people come into a pain clinic, they think automatically that they're going to get some opioid like oxycodone or hydrocodone. But there are so many other pain medications that we can use that are actually more beneficial and less harmful. And so I I would just have patients, if you know, you go into a pain clinic, have an open mind because, you know, your doctor is well-trained and understands the pharmacologies and the risk of these medications and thinking about a whole host of things that can help uh, the patient get through whatever they're getting through. We don't want people to be on any kind of medication long-term. So the goal is really to just kind of get people the help that they need so they can get the physical therapy or they can get whatever they need to become more functional and get them past the point of pain and moving on to a better quality of life because that's really what it's about. We want people to live. We don't want people to go and sit down. (laughs) Well said. Well said, doctor. Do you have any other suggested resources or reading or online resources for some of our listeners? We have listeners across the United States. So any good resources for people that want to learn more about pain management and procedures or techniques or policies or anything like that? Most of the pain offices, wherever you're located, like I know our website and most of the websites will go in and have a detailed description of each of their procedures that they provide and what they do. So I would say start there locally, wherever you know your referral base is and look into that, their, their websites. In general, I, you know, sometimes if the websites are not existent for that area, Mayo Clinic has a good website for different types of procedures to give patients, you know, if you want to just kind of give patients more information for overall, that's a good question. I don't have one just for like providers and, (laughs) but um, as far as like, you know, spinal cord stimulators, they're Boston Scientific, Nevro, they are good. They're good places to start to get the information about their technology. The Radio frequency ablation, Avenos, um, they have like a good website because they all they also have a product where you do kind of like a cool radio frequency ablation, but it's very similar to traditional. I do both of those procedures, but the cool has to be performed in the hospital. Basically, they have a good website about radio frequency ablation as well. Dr. Toon, this is a great podcast. We're going to get a lot of information out of this for our listeners. I appreciate your time today. I know you're busy. I really uh, look forward to hearing this coming out. Oh, yes, me too. Thank you for joining the Ortho PAC podcast. Hello, listeners. I wanted to tell you about our next upcoming conference, the Ortho in the West, February the 18th through the 20th, 2022, which will be in Phoenix, Arizona. We have quite a few sports topics and trauma topics, and we hope you can join us there.